Hey folks, welcome to People Are Interesting. My name is Mike Ruby. And I'm Jacob Rubin. And this is a show about people who are, I guess you could say, interesting? I would say that. Yeah, I would say they're interesting. We seek out people that we know through various life connections and uh, ask them to talk about their unique or interesting lives. It's a pretty basic premise, really. It's really, it's really straightforward, but um, I think that a lot of people... You know, I, I think that if you have a job like the jobs that these people have and you bring it up like at a, at a party or something, then someone might be so fascinated by like, oh, what does that exactly entail? And we want to make it so that you don't have to corner these people at a party ever again. You can just listen to our podcast. Right. <laughs> I couldn't have said it better myself. Yeah. So our first guest today is Joshua Silverstein, yep. who is a performance artist. That's kind of his umbrella term, but he's so many things. He's a poet. He's a teacher. He's a beatboxer, a rapper, an actor. Uh, you've probably seen him on a lot of stuff. The Late Late Show with James Corden was probably his biggest project as the beatboxer for the Drop the Mic Challenge, which later got its own show, Drop the Mic, on TBS. Would you consider that to be a spinoff? Uh, y- yeah, when you take like a segment. I mean, they did the same thing with Lip Sync Battle on Jimmy Fallon and then make its own. Yeah, I, I suppose. Would you consider Friends a spinoff? Of what? Mad About You. Oh, because Phoebe and Ursula are twins? Yeah. I mean, kind of. I mean, that was just like they they couldn't cast someone to play Phoebe, and then they found out that someone playing a different part on the same network would have been really good, and I guess they just thought it'd be funny to have them be the same. I mean, I wouldn't say that's a spinoff. I would say it's not a spinoff. Yeah. I really liked the Friends reunion. I don't know what people were complaining about. I thought it was great. I Okay, I bet. So we both like, you like Friends. Yeah. I thought it was a great show. It shows comfort food. Yeah. But but we're not, are you like a Friends diehard? Are you like a super fan? I don't think so. Yeah. I mean, I've watched it multiple times. Yeah. I've, I've, I've seen every episode. I know the, the big jokes, but like, I'm not like one of those people who like is super, super into it and I feel like if I watch our reunion as one of those then I might be a little disappointed because it's like oh I already know this stuff I already know that Joey broke sure. his arm filming this I wanted Chandler and Monica to fuck again <laughs> <laughs> I did like that moment where they talked about how the crowd reaction made them decide to keep them together and not just break them up not just have it be a short thing it was a pretty pivotal sitcom moment yeah when they just like pop out from under the sheets and go and say what I've never done that with you before right yeah, like that. That's that, good TV. The, the incredibly long, like I want to say minute long applause break. Think about how long a minute is. Yeah. That's, yeah. You know, I don't think we're ever going to have something like that on TV again, where it's like with that kind of live audience energy. You think? I don't know. I mean, what, what, like they don't really film, I feel like people don't really like shows filmed in front of a live studio audience anymore. Full stop. Really? Not even like How I Met Your Mother or Big Bang Theory? How I Met Your Mother was not filmed in front of a live studio audience. Oh. They, what they did was, to, they, because there's all those cutaway gags and all these things that are shot in different locations, what they did was they shot it similar to that, and then they played it for a studio audience and recorded actual so live laughter. laughter. So Yeah, it's, it is actually people reacting to what happens in the show, but it's not, as opposed to like a lot of shows that use canned laughter or whatever. Um, but they, there wasn't any. There wasn't weren't a real audience in the studio. Fun fact. You, Big Bang Theory, though, that was a live audience. I bet you Joshua would have a lot to say on this. Too bad we didn't ask him about it. <laughs> no, no, yeah, the conversation is still great. There's one uh, topic we kind of skirted, and I think oh, it's okay yeah. to talk about this in the intro. It just it wasn't relevant to his occupation, to his career. True. Um, but he gained even more celebrity status. By way of uh, of Meghan Markle, wife of Prince Harry. Yeah, you may have heard of. She was on Oprah recently. And in an interview uh, for somewhere, she was asked who her first kiss was, and it was Joshua Silverstein yeah. in, at summer camp when they were adolescents or whatever. She's being interviewed by Larry King, of all people. Oh, really? Yeah, because I, I watched the clip back, because he used to play this clip at his shows before she, I mean, when she was just an actress on Suits and people didn't think of her, and she was like an activist, never, well before any of her involvement with the royal family. And um, he said, who was your first kiss? And she goes, Joshua Silverstein. And he went, ah, a Jew. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I should watch that. But anyway, the media tracked him down, and they're just like, oh, you might actually know this guy from the Corden show. Mm-hmm. He's He's... 
is around town. You've seen him in all kinds of stuff. Yeah, we don't talk about it in the interview because he's talked about it a lot. It was a big media firestorm, and it's not really about like his life. It's just like a weird thing that happened to him. However, I do feel it prudent to bring it up in this intro because I feel like we may get listeners who are hoping that we talk about it with him, and we do not. We're not going to. No. Like, he would have been down to talk about it because he's a, a good guy, and, but and it just didn't seem relevant. And the story is interesting, but that's not what this show is. Uh, although it literally is called People Are Interesting. Maybe we backtrack on that. Well, let's get him back in the studio. Yeah, well, for now, here's our interview with Joshua Silverstein. Enjoy. Gangs back together. Yeah. Yay. Thanks for joining us here, Joshua. Hey, man. I'm so sorry that we're off to a late start. I, we're not. We said 1230. So you're actually oh. a minute early. Oh. Well, fuck yeah. By my clock, you're one minute late. God damn it. I can't exactly win. Yeah. Because yeah. yeah. my clock's East Coast. You know, it's different. It's fair. Right. Right. Sorry. I'm at 930 for you, California. Right. So Jacob and I have known you uh, and you have known us for uh, a number of years now. And I know some of what you do and have done in your professional life, but I kind of wanted to dive more into it. Okay. Because you're, it seems to me that like, if you're actually working in the entertainment industry, mm-hmm. there's almost like a requirement to wear multiple hats. Yeah. Well, I think if you're, if you're someone who, well, Okay. This is a good, this is, I'm kind of talking about this in a piece I'm writing right now. And um, so let's, let's talk about Wayne Brady, right? Wayne Brady is someone who is a person who wears multiple hats. I mean, we all know the improvisational world he kind of runs through and, and is a genius in, but he's also his own producer, his own director, his own, you know, his own management team. Like he is a kind of package deal of of everything, in addition to being a singer, songwriter, dancer. And he's a friend uh, of yours. Right? He's a friend of mine, right. worked together professionally as well. Right? Yeah, we have several times. And like, you know, he's a friend in that um, he's someone who I think will call me for, for work or, you know, like I have hung out with him, but he's someone who, who also like, as I've gotten older and become more familiar with how this industry works, like he's not one of you guys, right? Like you guys are my, my family, my friends. He's someone who's like a professional relationship that, that I would call a friend, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, yeah, he, no, I get he, it. what you're saying is we're better than Wayne Brady. Yeah. Yeah. Right. 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 <laughs> so I'm Point is, is you're better than Wayne Brady, but he's, you know, he is someone who has to wear all these hats because the industry is not designed to give, you know, people of color that kind of access to to infinite. You know what I'm saying? He he has to be bigger than everything so that he can give the offered chance. Like I, I I remember talking to him about the Dave Chappelle thing, right? Because the Dave Chappelle thing was huge, you know, when he was on um, Is Wayne Brady gonna have to choke a bitch. Yeah, yeah, that whole thing. And, oh, and oh, right. I was like, you have to be more specific with the Dave Chappelle thing, but no, you don't actually. Never mind. <laughs> that is the thing, right? That's the Wayne Brady Dave Chappelle bit, right? right? And 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 to Chappelle, that what the thing that was funny to Chappelle was the way he was making a commentary based on how the world saw Wayne, right? Because mm-hmm. the world saw Wayne as the who's line is it anyway guy, like the 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 safe black man. Mm-hmm. And so when Wayne said bitch let alone choke a bitch, people were like, oh my God. But to Wayne, he was like, I'm acting. Like to him, it was a gig. To him, it was nothing more than, yeah, I'll do your show, it's funny. I like, I think you're funny and and this is a funny bit. But he didn't, he did not think the joke was Wayne saying bitch. Like he, cause in his brain, he was just showing up to act. So the, the, the world he exists in, in his world is, I'm an actor who's always playing a role, you know, like that's how he shows up to stuff. Like he's not, he's not aware. He's not living on the outside of his own life looking in. He's just showing up as himself 
fully in every scenario and doing whatever the role call, calls for. Like he's also in um, Black Lightning, and I think he plays um, what's his what she called it. Um, he plays. Uh, he plays. The, I know you're hit, you're doing a DC Comics question, and I really shouldn't know the answer to this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I can't remember the. But he's playing. He's in. He's in that world, right? So he's playing a bad guy. And again, to him, he's like, I'm acting. I'm an actor who's acting. But when you're, you know, when you're black or brown or whatever, you have to go above and beyond. And so wearing multiple hats kind of comes with the the territory of if I'm going to make it, I got to show the world that I'm, I'm better than, I'm not just amazing. I'm the best at everything. You know, you have to kind of be Prince. You have to be, um, you have to be, uh, you know, Sammy Davis Jr. You have to kind of be these people who are so, uh, who are so outstanding that they stand out. Right. Okay. So if we're talking about you in that sense like i'm failing <laughs> well, <laughs> <sure>. <laughs> what i was gonna say is you're one of the best beatboxers out there that, that i've ever right. heard but that's just one, one item on the list of things that you can do you're an right actor, you're an educator yeah. you're a comedian so yeah. what i want to know is if somebody asks what do you do for work what yeah. would you say I say I'm unemployed. No, I say that. Um, <laughs> I say, That's our show, that, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> I say that um, I'm starting to not have to answer that question, which is kind of great. Like, like because of Instagram, um, there's been this really um, reemergence of of talent and and um, I don't want to say uh, trendsetters, but people who are like who are on that platform and doing more than they've done before, right? So, so you've got people who are um, becoming their own brands on Instagram and, you, and there's this thing that's been coined as masters of your own path. So I, I like that because growing up, everyone was like, you gotta choose one, you gotta pick one. And I got to a place in my life where I couldn't, right? I, I realized that I, I equally love being, a, being an actor as much as I love being a comic, as much as I love being a writer. And for me, it all kind of fuels the same purpose of what's the best way of expressing this idea that I have, you know, like we all go to Kaz together and Kaz is such a fun place because it kind of allows me to tap into all those bits and pieces. I get to write stuff. I get to be in things. I get to educate. I get to, um, you know, be funny and goofy and silly. I get and to for be the, For those listening, we're talking about Casadero Performing Arts Family Camp. That's where we know each other from. Right. Uh, and we've all been teaching there for uh, much of our adult lives together. Yeah, yeah pretty much. And so, and so because, because I get to live in that place in Kaz, um, it's, it's almost because of Kaz, I've been able to kind of go, okay, this is who I am. So, so when people say, well, what do you do? I kind of say I do a lot of things. You know, um, I think the best way of summing it up is I am a performance artist. You know, that's kind of the hat I wear. And so under the performance arts, I see theater, you know, music, um, comedy, film, TV, you know, uh, all of that. And I and I seek to be someone who is an influencer in all those realms and all those uh, avenues of creative expression, because that to me is the point, you know, like what's what's going to be the best way of say of, of of for jokes like what's the best way of making the joke sometimes it's it's pantomime and sometimes it's a film and sometimes it's you know someone else making the joke for you and i and i and that to me is you know the outcome is what's more important so which thing came first the chicken um i <laughs> uh so this the the short story is the first the first thing that i think i started getting paid for well, was acting, right? Because I did, I started off doing, you know, I did a commercial. And so that was the first thing. But the, the first thing I became known for was beatboxing. Um, in high school, I would be, you know, during lunch, I'd be on the, on the, um, you know, the blacktop or whatever. And, and, you know, by the basketball uh, courts and, and there'd be a bunch of guys rapping and they'd come get me and go, can you kick a beat? And I became get known as the guy at my high school who did that, who was able to, you know, beatbox. And one of the things that I learned was how to keep going. 
And so a lot of guys who are beatboxing could do it for like five minutes, but I was able to keep going the whole entire lunch period. You're just like a didgeridoo player. <laughs> yeah, it was that <laughs> circular breathing, like, and I figured out how to do that. And I figured that I didn't have to be the best. Um, it didn't have to be the best beat. It just had to be the most sustained one. And so I, the more I learned how to sustain my own breath, uh, the more in demand I'd be. And so the way that segues into like making money is um, I ended up uh, playing with um, friends of mine, friends of my family's, specifically Cal Bennett, who's this amazing sax player who played with Miles Davis. And, and he would have these shows and um, he'd call me up from the audience and get on stage with him. So I learned how to beatbox in like a jazz band. And so I was trying to figure out really? wow. how do I, how, you know, when you got drums, bass, you know, percussion, horn keys you're like well where do i fit in and, and, and all that so i learned how to listen and find my place and so i became um a team player really early on in my life as an artist i really learned how to like where's where's my beat you know where's my lane in this in this musical extravaganza that i want to be a part of right because as a beatboxer your drums but if there's drums, well, then what do you do? So I learned how to figure that out. And, um, and so then, you know, uh, I saw, uh, I fell in love with the spoken word scene in LA and then poets began to take note of me and they would ask me to beatbox for them in their poems. So I became this guy who was like accompanying poets. And so I was kind of the first beatboxer that became known for that. And then, Norman Lear came along and then, you know, other things came along and um, it just kind of grew and grew and grew. So the first, but the first thing that I became like the go-to guy for was beatboxing. And then right. from that, people took note of like, oh, he's an actor. Oh, he's theatrical. Oh, he does more than just beatboxing. And then it's in LA, it's hard though, because people, people hold on to what they know you as when they first meet you, right? right. So if someone go, if someone meets you and you're and you're and you're a drummer, and you go, well, I'll just play the bass, they're like, yeah, 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 but you're a drummer, you know, because in my mind, I've put you in the drum space, you know, and, and right. it's, it's hard to go, yeah, but I also I like I love the bass. You're like, yeah, 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 cute, cute, but drum, you know, and so yeah, that's also been a part of my journey is trying to convince others who have known me in one avenue that I do more than that. And so it's, yeah. it's, it's challenging. So on, on that subject, uh, you were born and raised in Los Angeles where you currently reside. Have you lived anywhere else or is LA like? The <clears throat> LA is a shithole that I um, <laughs> grow from on a regular basis. I spent time in New York um, when I was touring a lot. So I, you know, I, I, I lived in an apartment that Norman Lear paid the rent of for some time. And um, <clears throat> I, when I was, uh, when I finished college, my plan was to move to Egypt. So I lived, I lived there for like a very small window of my life. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, you know, that was, a, that was, that was a very big part of my growing up process was just like, I'm, I'm out, I'm leaving the country. And, um, but so, but LA has been, been home really for, for most of my, for most of my life, for, for it, all of my life. Is it the work or the combination of family? And I mean, obviously you have a family. Um, now it is, it, now it's just the work at this point. It's just the work. I think, I think where I am in my career now, I think if Cynthia and I were able to find a way to sustain work while living in say the Bay, we would move immediately. Um, so at this point, yeah, it's, it's, it's just, it's just the, the quickest route to, to work. Although now, you know, it's so funny because of COVID, I, I, it doesn't matter where I am. I mean, I've done so many <laughs> projects from my home, you know, that, right. uh, that I could do that easily somewhere else, but also it's about, you know, like, we're, we have a home here. We have, you know, our rent is is paid here, and so it's very much like, how do we, if could we sustain ourselves in the Bay? I mean, it's expensive right now. Yeah. So, um, but if that if that opens up, we would, you know, we would jump on it. I'm not advocating for you leaving LA. <laughs> what I, do you know, Mike? Do you got any, you got any, uh, any hookups? San Francisco's better. That's all. <laughs> no, I don't. I don't know. Jacob, Speaking you're here in LA. 
I, I moved to LA like two but three months ago and I'm like, yeah, you should go to the Bay. You should leave. <laughs> <laughs> but you're in the valley, to be fair. I'm the, yeah, I'm in the valley, it's different. I mean, I barely, I, I mean, you know, I moved here way, way into the pandemic. I, I mean, I live in this apartment. I don't really live in the city. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's, it's yeah. hard to, but yeah, I mean, it is, yeah, I'm also here, but also for the, for the work. Like if I could stay in the Bay and continue to, you know, do the things that I wanted. It's 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 the city. It's the showbiz city, and it doesn't. I mean, if you're going to continue to go down this path, it doesn't really make sense to live anywhere else, except maybe New York. But then you know, New York's a lot. I mean, you live in New York. I did, and it, and it was and it was rad. And uh, yeah, but I mean, Joshua, you you live in a house with like space, correct? Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I'm I'm very fortunate yeah, and, that, that I don't live in an apartment, and I and I and I yeah. never really have, you know. So. I've always been kind of fortunate with where I've lived and um, that I've always had space. And so, um, you know, it's one of those things. Well, I know I lived in the apartment for a couple of years, but it was a big apartment. And, 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 you know, it's, you know, LA's LA and New York are, I feel like maybe even California, but I mean, I, I guess there are parts of California that are, that are conservative, like, you know, obviously, um, Northern California can be a little conservative, Sacramento, but but I feel like wherever Nunez's district is, yeah, 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 pretty yeah. much. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, but I feel like Ramona. I feel like you can like we L.A. and New York are getting a very specific part of the world in regards to information. Like we don't really know what's going on, going on. I was just listening to Bill Burr talk about this. And he's like, you can go do comedy in other parts of the country where it's okay to tell jokes. You know, whereas in LA, we're very, very liberal and we're very much like, you can't say that. And, you know, like be more accountable. And, and Bill Burr is like, in LA and New York, that's, a, that's, that's that opinion. But we we believe we in LA we believe that everyone's opinion ref, uh, reflects our own, which is not is not true for most of the world. And we saw that seventy five million people voted for Trump. So like clearly we're not we're not the we're not the norm. I think in LA and, and, and New York. And so I feel like <clears throat> in regards to like you know the entertainment world, um, I feel like it it's very hard to. To just be, it's very hard to have the same mind somewhere else in the country and work yeah. in the yeah. industry. You know, it's very hard to be like, I'm gonna be a, uh, I'm gonna be a up and coming actor and live and live like Milwaukee. It's just very hard to have the same like. <laughs> right, and it's something about it's like you'd think a place that's less saturated with people that want to do the same shit that you're doing would make it easier to do the shit yeah but it's actually not like it's like, harder what's the scene like in milwaukee i i don't know yeah i don't know either because i'm not there but i also right. think it's like yeah you kind of need to be around it. It, it it i don't think it has anything to do with the studios are here or the um you know the agents are here because i think that doesn't matter it's just you have to be in the thick of what people are talking about here in order to kind of make make it work it, it's almost like if you're not you're late you know you're late to the game you know it's already been done and then you arrive and you're like oh you guys already did that oh shit okay well i don't i got i got no more ideas you know what i'm saying and it's 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 that's what i feel i feel like is is being in la or being in new york has has helped me stay current and relevant you know yeah and almost yeah. ahead of it like you see the trends. Well, in a way, would you say that, uh, like you're talking about the, the sensibilities coming from the, like on the coast. We, I mean, we could say LA and New York, but we're also essentially saying the coast bleeding into the center more right? in a way. Right. Um, right. Like, so these sensibilities that like the, the idea of like, like Bill Burr said, you can tell jokes in these other places, but wouldn't you say that like, I mean, maybe historically speaking, these sort of liberal, more liberal attitudes eventually make their way into these other climates and then you know things ebb and flow and change yeah but so it's almost as if the sensibilities that are currently being held in la yeah. will be held in milwaukee after a certain period of time and by that point the sensibilities in la will be different have changed right it's like yeah exactly that so it's like if i if i come from the center and move out to the coast 
by the time I get to the coast, my idea is is no longer you know uh, current anymore. You know, because right. I got L.A. later. You know, it's it's. I mean, you can, yeah, it, yes, what you said, Jacob, hundred percent. I've driven through the country. I mean, Cynthia and the kids and I, we drove to New Mexico. Um, I think that was last year. It might have been two years ago now. And um, you stop in places, and you know, people look at you, and they're like, and you, they they know you're not from around there. Versus, I can go to I can go to New York. And nobody will know that I'm not from New York. Not really. I mean, I'll speak and they'll go, oh, you're not from New York. But like, just <laughs> by the way, I'm walking around and, and, and I've traveled enough to know how to not be a tourist. So yeah, I yeah. can, I know how to blend in places. How often do you get recognized in other parts of the country? It happens. It, you know, it's, it's obviously slowed down since I've stopped doing Drop the Mic, which is the show that... I was doing for a long time before the pandemic hit. Um, And, you know, and, and, you know, to clarify the, the spinoff show drop the mic that I'm, that I was also on that came from the Corden show uh, drop the mic got bought out by uh, AT&T, 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 AT&T still kind of owns it and doesn't know what they want to do with it. Corden was going to keep doing its own its its own stuff with it, and so Corden was going to do stuff with me, and then the pandemic hit. Um, right. Okay. So that's kind of what I wanted to get into. So for those unfamiliar, Drop the Mic is was a spinoff of a James Corden segment. Yeah. Which celebrities engage in a rap battle, and you, Joshua, uh, were the beatboxer. That's correct, and um, and and was doing that since. 2016 which is crazy and um and so and so yeah for a while uh people would be like uh <laughs> joshua give me a beat you know across the street yeah. and you're like no <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> um and but um a, you know when i was touring with norman lear we had a tour bus and we had our, they had they had hired some artists to design uh, caricature versions of us that were on the tour bus. So, so that I had a giant picture in my head on a tour bus, and um, driving through the country. And so, so on. So for a while from that tour, people would go, "Are you the guy?" You know, and you're like, "Yeah." Um, and so, so but every now, like, was this like a stand up tour or like in what? No, no, no. So, so Norman Norman Lear. Um, in Norman Lear fashion, wound up purchasing a copy of the Declaration of Independence because he bought a painting at auction. And on the back of the painting, there was this document that happened to be an actual, you know, copy. Okay. So he just stumbled upon this thing that is a piece of history that, you know, like the, the, the document that's the foundation for our country. He found it. And uh, and he was like, this is 2000, and he was like, you know, this this should be on tour. Like people should see this. Like youth should see this. And this was we were coming upon the election, uh, you know, between Bush and Gore, right? And so uh, there was a lot of we got to get youth to vote. We got to get youth to vote. We got to get youth to turn out. And and so Norman created this nonpartisan uh, voter registration tour um, that came along before. Puffy did his vote or die thing or whatever that was. Um, and so we, Norman was like, I, you know, this was right when Deaf Poetry Jam was coming out. And he was like, poets, I should get poets to do, to, to do poetry about the Declaration of Independence. And we should go tour colleges. And, you know, and he had this huge vision and he tried to get, um, you know, his, his buddies to, to, to support it which was hard because a lot of his buddies are liberal and they were like, I'm not going to support a bipartisan thing. I want it to be partisan, which is, you know, I'm not going to, I want to support my, my candidate. And so one of my favorite memories of that audition process was, so he discovered me uh, early on and, and he, you know, picked up on, he was like, I didn't know beatboxing was a thing. I didn't know that you could do this with poetry. And he, he um, was like, are there others? And he's, he did a nationwide scout for other beatboxers who do what I did. And he, he couldn't find any. He found a couple of guys and then 
they just they were they, they weren't as good to him yeah. in his mind um and i met i met some people through that like i met this guy who he boxes out of new york and, and we went up against each other and you know, it was like not that guy so uh so one of the one of the one of my favorite memories was uh norman hadn't figured out yet what the tour was really going to look like um in regards to like who was going to be on it so he was still kind of auditioning people he had he had, he had landed on me and um this other guy named Aton kadosh who's a poet and he put me and Aton kadosh in a room with joe pesci and Joe Pesci, if, if, if you've ever seen him in any of his films, you know, the trope that he always kind of rolls with is like this kind of, you know, mafia guy. And right. um, that is not far from how he presents in a room. He presents like, if, if you fuck up, I will have my guys, you know, he put a hit on you. So he's, so it's, it's him at the head of this table and he's got like four guys on each side of him around his table that are all like much bigger than him. Like this is his entourage. And he rolls with like these big Italian gangster looking dudes that are just dressed in all black. He's wearing all black. He's got his glasses on and he's like, okay, show me what you got. And you're like, this is, I'm gonna die. Like, I'm not gonna live. Like he's gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make him laugh. I'm gonna laugh with him. He's gonna think he's gonna say, "You think I'm funny?" I'm like, "No, no, no, you're not funny." And he's gonna shoot me. You know, what about so, me is funny. Yeah, every look at you. <laughs> right so he's so he does that. We do. Or we Aton and I do this piece together, and he's sitting there like this. And he's guys, you guys are good. And then he like gets up with his guys and walks out the room. And that was it. There was no other like, you know, I don't know what happened with that meeting. I don't know. I don't know what he said to Norman, but that was it. And then there was a time where I was performing for. Um, we went to Norman's house, and and he had. He had other poets with him at this point. So it was me and like um, a poet named Bridget Gray, who's a friend of mine, and a poet named Seku Andrews, who's a friend of mine. And we were all in Norman's house in his living room and we were performing for his friends. Now his friends are uh, Annette Benning and Warren Beatty and Angelica Houston and her um, husband at the time who's passed away and um, other people though in that room. Angelica was super nice. Warren Beatty and Annette, appeared to have done a lot of coke before watching us perform and so they if you've ever seen people on coke they just kind of have this like glossy look on their face and they're sweaty and they're really shiny and smiley and they look like that the entire show and you're like oh my god they're on drugs right now um <laughs> and so and so uh all that to be said was for what for is um sometimes celebrities recognize me from that tour they'd be okay. like oh you're norman's friend <laughs> and you're like yes <laughs> i am i am norman lear's friend and um which is kind of true i guess because uh he did come to my solo show which is kind of nice of him but but yeah so he you know so that happens um people have recognized me from drop the mic um people have recognized me who have worked with me on stuff that i didn't know were on it you know so you know productions are huge so sometimes you don't know everybody who's there and, and they're like hey you're that guy and I was um the assistant AD on that and you're like oh that's cool you know but you know you never know you, you never know you gotta you gotta be in your best behavior everywhere you go because <laughs> this industry is filled with people who apparently know who you are so I want to ask more about uh the drop the mic experience so were you yeah I know it was a spinoff were you doing that simultaneously with the Corden show? Yes, yeah, it was weird, right? So there, so, you know, usually a spinoff happens and, well, I guess it's not weird. I guess if you look at like, Mork and Mindy is a spinoff of Happy Days, like Mork and Mindy kept going and Happy Days kept going. Mork and Mindy was a spinoff of Happy Days? I mean, yeah. sort of. Yeah, yeah, well, Mork appeared on- it Was in one episode. Show. Yeah, that show first, so. Oh. And or, then they were like, oh, this is a funny character. Let's give him his own show. It wasn't like, it wasn't like Frasier and Cheers were running concurrently. Right, right, right. Or Kate, Kate and Allie. Wasn't Kate and Allie a, a spinoff of, I don't know. I feel like a lot of shows came out of Happy Days. I feel like I'm not wrong. I, think, I do think that the only one I can think of that I think the characters, the, I think the Parkers and Moesha was running simultaneously. Which yeah. are Parkers still appearing on Moesha, but not for very long. And yeah. Then, maybe just because Moesha ended, I don't know, but... 
I'm trying to think this guy. Well, so I guess, yeah, I don't know. Now I, I got to figure that out and I got to, but this is, I mean, this is different because it's a, it's a, I mean, they only, how often, did, like bef- prior to drop the mic at the getting its own show, how frequently was it occurring on uh, Corden? Well, it was, so yeah, it was, it was, it was, you know, it was, I had done, I had done about, by the time the spinoff came around, I had already done about seven episodes, you know, I've done 10 now. And so like people think that I was just kind of hanging out at the studio, but no, I only came when they called me. And it was really one of those things where I would, I would like, I would show up and hang out in my dressing room if I got one. And then, Mm -hmm. you know, I would hang out, I talked to the band a little bit. And um, or I talked to my friend Eliza, or <clears throat> you know, I talked to um, other people that I had made friends with. You know, uh, Sean, who's a music guy over there, and um, uh, he did digital, a lot of digital stuff there with them. That I had done stuff with them too, and so it was quick though. Like it was as far as shows go, that's a that was a pleasant experience because it was so tight. There wasn't a lot of like hanging around doing nothing. Hmm? Did you have a favorite guest? From Corden, my favorite guest was Anne Hathaway. Only because, uh, yeah, only because I hadn't met her before. I had friends that knew her. And uh, I, I, there's only two female performers that I've met throughout my life that have kind of like taken me aback a little bit where I'm like, oh, you're you're sparkly. Like, I didn't realize you're so sparkly. Like, she's someone who her eyes do twinkle and you're like, oh, I get it. I get it. You know, and she said, and she said to me, she was like, oh my God, I want to take classes from you. And I, I panicked. Like, I didn't know that was happening and I didn't know how to handle that. Cause I was like, you're Anne Hathaway. Do I just give you my phone number? Like, what's the protocol? <laughs> so I said, stupidly, um, my name is on the call sheet. Just that's where my number is like, like a douchebag. And she was like, oh, okay. And now it's kind of it. And so I feel like I fucked that up. But but she, you know, so, but she was great. Like she was just, as far as like working with someone who was talented and um, nice and charming and funny, like she was really good and really just a nice sport to, to be with. Um, you know, on that show, there were guests who I thought were awful, not people, just awful to work with. Like, like I don't want to say her name, but... We had one guest who I'm pretty sure is illiterate because she kept <laughs> insisting on memorizing the script. We were and we didn't. We were like, we don't have time for it. Like, we got to go. And she's like, well, just let me do it again. And we were like, well, we kind of have to start rolling now. And she's like, well, I need more practice. And we were like, look, the Wait, words she, are memorize memorizing the script as opposed to like reading it off cue cards. Is that what yeah, you're yeah, saying? yeah? Well, so it's prompter, okay. right? So when you're on that oh, show, sure. you're you're not you're not you're like you're not memorizing it, you're reading it, you know, and, and, and prompter is a skill, right? Prompter, reading prompter is a skill set. One that, you know, I, I am still learning. Um, I did a, I did, I hosted a talk show um, through city TV several years ago and I thought I could do it easily. And at some point I just began to realize that I'm not good at reading prompter. And it was very, very challenging in the middle of the show. Thank you. And, uh, excuse me. And so <laughs> for our listeners, um, <laughs> a piglet has entered the studio. <laughs> um, Joshua was just handed a mug of a beverage, I assume by his wife or one of his by children. Cynthia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. okay. <laughs> it's coffee. And then uh, he snorted a bunch and now we're back. My yeah. third age, my third age. Um, so, so anyway, uh, so, so yeah, so she was very much about not learning the line, not reading them, because I think she couldn't read them. So, um, so she would, you know, she would look at the words and, I, or, or maybe I'm judging her, maybe she just wanted to fill it in her body. Whatever the reason was, it took a long time with her because she insisted on that. And then we ran late uh, and she kept messing up. And we're like, just read the prompter. And she's like, no, 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 I got it, I got it. We're like, all right. Um, uh, Usain Bolt was dope on uh okay. on the mic he was dope I, I wasn't expecting <laughs> that one yeah he was dope he was he was he he showed up wearing all his medals 
And I was like, can I, <laughs> can I hold them? And he was like, yeah, sure. And he put them on my neck and I was like, I'm never gonna have these. Like, this is great. Like, this, is, this is just never gonna happen for me. And they're heavy. Like they're, you gotta be an athlete just to wear a gold, a gold medal like that. And um, everything I've seen about that dude, he seems just like the coolest guy. He was like great. Usain Bolt. Just, yeah. <laughs> he, was, he was a fan of mine. He was like, I've seen, I've, I've followed your work. You're great. And I was like, you're great. You know, it was just fanning <laughs> off each other moment. And it was like, I'm humbling that he would even care about me. So, it, but he was, he was really sweet and cool. Um, David Swimmer was fun and nice and, uh, and, and very comfortably uh, arrhythmic, you know, just like this one of those guys who are like, I'm not going to be good at this. So let's just right. go. And he was just very sort of like <laughs> part of the joke. Yeah. He kind of, you know, like we would have to, <laughs> so, you know, like you guys know timing. So, you know, every, every, Every every guy who does the show gets a four count in. So I would go, and you start on the downbeat. And so so David would go, and I'd go, you know, and just keep going because he couldn't figure out what the downbeat was. And he would have to he would have to wrap the one bar stop. Find the beat again and, and rap again. Like he couldn't just yeah, go right yeah. through. So we wow. did a lot of things. But he was just he was just nice and fun. Um yeah. what's her name? Um oh my god. She she was the last one we did um on that show. Uh she her name is um she's a dame. Helen Marin. Helen Marin kept calling me Jason. Oh, it's either her or Judy Dead. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Helen Marin kept calling me Jason, and I had I did not have the heart to correct her. I just yeah. was like you're Helen. Jordan says your name. Every yeah, she time. just she's old. She's old. She's like she's super old. But she, she, but she looks great. She looks great. But she looks <laughs> when you're seeing her, you know. But she's like she's an older person. She's not old and decrepit. But she's like. I don't right. need to remember your name. I'm Helen Mirren. Like I'm old, I'm old right. enough to not, it doesn't matter what your name if is. If Helen Mirren calls you Jason, you're going to be fucking Jason. Yeah, you're Jason. That's, That's what, what you are. are. I'm Jason, you know, so. Um, I wanted to talk to you about uh, your web content because you put okay. out a fucking lot of it. Um, like <laughs> yeah. you are just all over all the social media platforms with like with yeah. good content. Like it's Thanks, not man. just you you know, jerking off in front of a camera, it's which is my oh, next God. which is my next piece. This is that, that would be your avant garde piece. <laughs> yes. Um but you have <laughs> Joe and Joshua show, which is a sketch show that's been going on for quite a while now. Like how yeah. did that how did that come to be? Mm. So Joe Hernandez Kolsky and I met through the spoken word scene. Um there was an event in LA that used to be ran by a, a, a dear friend and amazing poet named Rachel Can. And she founded this uh, event called um, Colab. Colab was a place where you, it was an open mic, but you had to perform with whoever was on stage and uh, as far as the house band. And, and there were like musicians that kind of filtered in and out throughout the, throughout the event. And so, um, but there was like a core amount of musicians who were always there. And I became someone who was always there. And, and this started at the Knitting Factory in LA, which is no longer there. And then it moved to the Temple Bar, which is also no longer there, which is one of my favorite venues in LA. And um, it was every, it was, I think it was either once a month or twice a month. I can't remember, but it was on Sundays. And so Joe and I knew each other through the scene. I knew his work. He knew I, my work. And, um, and he was like, hey, I want to use you at collab and um he caught me doing my a beatbox version of a love supreme right that mm -hmm. i somehow decided i was doing for a while and um because i want that behind my piece it's all right and so i did this so he did this piece that i and i was able to follow him where he was going and i used that my love supreme beatbox thing and he loved it and he was like i want to do this piece somewhere else and we had we did it again somewhere else and so we'd be kind of it, it was kind of like he latched on to me as someone to work with and then um he had a solo show that was his first solo show called you want a piece of me that happened while i was touring 
And so I ended up working with Joe on his solo P on a solo show, like being like a, kind of the opener. And, um, but I couldn't keep going with it uh, because I had to tour and um, the director was just not comfortable waiting for me to show up to stuff. So we moved on, but Joe was like, I want to do stuff with you. And, and so we kind of kept working together um, downbeat 720, which is the high school open mic that we, that we host also kind of um, submitted our relationship because he was hosting that. Um, and I was uh, a youth mentor. And so I was, I, I began to bring kids to downbeat. And, and I was like, I want to be a part of this. So I became kind of a co host shortly after he made it, he made downbeat happen. And so those little pieces that that kind of brought us close together. And then in 2007, um, we had uh, already done kind of a a show um, through this network called CTV. And the show was called the Not So Foreign Filmmaker Showcase, where Joe was the host. And I was kind of his like, co-host sidekicky guy that would come out and do funny shit and, and um, beatbox for him every now and then. And so we had done that and then we and then and so we were getting offered uh, a space to do our own two man solo show at this theater. And that's kind of where our duo kind of spawned and, and we wrote this um, hour long show um, with this director named Ben Davis. And um, we did it for for a while we did it for a few years and we did another version of the show but yeah so we've been working based on this one little piece called a, a freestyle love supreme that happened years ago that joe was really adamant about and uh and yeah he's my you know he's my comedy partner like i i don't know that a lot of the stuff that i've written comes out of that relationship you know it comes out of like right. having this guy who, you know, and, and it's and it's a marriage. I mean, we've been together so long that it, it is a relationship and it is not always easy. And it has had lots of, you know, ups and downs. And, you know, I'm someone who, you know, like you, Mike, doesn't have any siblings. And so, you know, your, your friendships become those relationships sure. where sometimes you dish out your shit, you know, to, you know, your friends. And, and I hate that, but he's definitely someone who, gets that you know he's he gets the the all the emotional shit uh because we're writing about emotional shit mm -hmm. writing about truth and our realities and our and, and you're our, and you're still uh doing them like even yeah post pandemic you're still doing it yeah and so you know it's hard it's a hard relationship to to maintain when you have that level of commitment that requires you show up and present that kind of work that's honest and vulnerable and truthful. And, and you're both men who got your, you know, your ego man shit that comes up. You know, it's a, it's a very, like, I look to people like, you know, Dean and Jerry and, and how they made it work. And I was listening to like a thing with um, uh, Penn and Teller. And I think it was Teller talking about how, you know, they're not friends, which is yeah. very like, weird to hear and he was like yeah we're not you know we have a working relationship mm -hmm. and i was like wow you know joe and i are friends but you know it's a friendship that thrives because of the work and and in order to make the relationship continue we have to keep working and so it's just you know it's challenging yeah so a couple more things i want to touch on before we wrap up uh sure. for most of the pandemic you've been doing a web sh a web series with your wife called the silverstein's yeah. morning show yeah in which essentially you read the news and provide insight yeah yeah, yeah um yeah. what so two questions what was the impetus for that and was there an episode that was particularly painful to do so um i love this question because you know um since so cynthia cynthia silverstein and i you know we we were all we were always we always do and talk about the news like we just you know like we were both two people who the first thing we do when we wake up is we look at like news articles on our phones and we scroll through shit and we still like to read stuff like that and we read through the whole thing and then we 
you know, it's just part of our daily kind of banter throughout the house and the kids kind of hear it and they, they weigh in and, you know, Ami, who you guys know, my, my oldest, he's someone who's got, he's now has his own opinions. He's very, very smart. And so he'll weigh in and correct us and go, well, actually, you know, in 1962, the truth about that, you know, like he'll weigh in and like, he's great. And then, and now Lila, who's the most middle child is like, she gets in it because she's starting to develop her own personality and opinions about, you know, content like that, you know, current events. And she's like, well, that, that's stupid. They, they shouldn't do that. You know, and uh, and so we felt like we should do this online, you know, and and right before the pandemic hit, the space you guys are watching me in now is, is my garage. And we thought, well, we have this space. Let's convert it into a theater. And so we were going to just record shit and she was going to shoot her photography in here and I was going to film stuff and then pandemic happened we're like okay well we're home anyway let's let's just do stuff anyway and so the the first uh iteration or incarnation of the Silverstein show was me standing you know up in front of the, the front of the camera and her filming it and um and me talking about the stuff we talk about in the house and while I read the news and go, well, this is what this means. And this is my opinion on that. And it was just kind of a fun way of me bringing the world into what we, what goes on in our home anyway. And as Cynthia would comment from behind the camera, I was like, people should see her, you know, I, I, I hated this notion of me being the main voice of this thing that she, you know, she's an equal part of. And, um, and I was like, Hey, but she's not an actress. Like she, she'd rather be behind the camera. And I was like, no, 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 come on. Like people should see you and you should talk more. And, right. you know, it's a, um, you guys have a great, uh, dynamic, at least on camera. I don't know. Maybe you fucking hate each other off camera, yeah, but, hate uh, <laughs> a real Penn and Teller situation. These two. We're not friends. We're not friends. Uh, <laughs> but it was yeah, that yeah. It, it, it was just it was then it was as as more, the more we did it the more we realized this is not just about us bringing people into our home and seeing what we talk about in our house this is about you know giving people uh you know the perspective that we weren't seeing out there we weren't seeing the perspective of two brown people who are kind of living in it right like as much as I think um, Trevor Noah has gotten significantly better at his job, and he's very, very funny, he doesn't have to live through it because he, he makes enough money to where he kind of can check out of it and live his life. And so Cynthia and I are kind of like the last of the middle class, you know, like we're kind of still, you know, we, we're both art, we're both working artists, we both are still grinding and hustling and, 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 and um, striving to, to, um, have our careers what it is and and so we still experience the ebbs and flows of success um being two people who who you know have done a lot but haven't uh you know achieved the status of someone uh like wayne brady uh bringing back to him and so we were like we should talk about because we're right in it you know we are affected by the economy we are affected by the you know the dangers of um police uh not you know uh respecting our humanity like we are in that you know we don't mm. we don't get to drive away from it um it happens i out think the that's street. that's part of what made it so appealing at least to me yeah um when everything went down you know when when um floyd was was assassinated that was uh that's when the show kind of kicked up a notch for us because then it was then we realized people were really paying attention in a different way and and it, and it felt like the world all of a sudden for the first time in our human history kind of came together for a moment and went what what is really going on mm -hmm. and so to have that you know as as cynthia and i were talking i realized how it, it, it everything kind of sunk in in real time and i was like you know for me the 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 people were the, the fact that people were kind of clicking on in the moment i began to kind of get aggravated by because i was like why did people take so long to 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 click on and that and and so i said that and 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 i remember uh that episode very clearly because because it got a lot of pushback because people were offended you know friends of ours were offended you know um one of one of someone we know very well sent me a really beautiful uh reply that was like first that was i was sharing that first she got really really angry 
And the more angry she got, the more she realized that she was part of the problem, right? It was the defense that was not letting her really ask herself that question of what took her so long. And she realized how she hadn't been paying attention and she hadn't really been been caring about all this stuff. And she had been kind of pushing it to the side. And so, you know, that episode for me, like, like, like talking about, you know, um, Floyd's death and talking about, you know, all the, all the slain black lives that came before him and, and, and how a lot of it, most of it didn't get this kind of coverage and how, how if we, if there was no pandemic, people wouldn't care this much. And, you know, this would just be someone who died again and we'd keep going. So all that stuff, um, came up in that episode and um and it was a very real one for me and for cynthia and and so you know we've taken a break since then since you know uh the new year um has come along and part of that is because trump is no longer in office we kind of wanted to sit back a little bit and see what biden does and see what's going to happen (laughs) yeah we don't we don't know (laughs) so and so um you know there's all these committees coming together for uh you know to impeach trump and trump's lawyers are scrambling and it's just you know we kind of we're kind of sitting back and it was very weird to see you know january 6th people storming you know <laughs> dude tell me about it i was down the street from that shit yeah <laughs> and i was just like what like what is happening over there yeah and, like, and i had been into i went into dc earlier that morning and I, there was a whole parade of these motherfuckers i'm like yeah i gotta get back to virginia man this is, <laughs> this is not, so it's, it's you know it's 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 scary because now we're living in a time where there's you know there's there's the encouragement of living filterless is great like we should all be honest but you're you're but people have developed um a reason to be bigots and a reason to be hateful and a reason to be demonstrative to democracy and i feel like um that makes living now uh, just that much scarier because now people feel justified in their hatred and it's um it's just it's just it's crazy it's like yeah now that that trump's gone it's uh we're not out of the woods yet yeah we're not done the residual shit we're not done Um, yeah yeah i could i mean we could talk about that for hours and with and with you i i think you're i trust you more than almost anybody else about this (laughs) kind of shit and so i I really like engaging with you and cynthia about these kind of topics um thanks mike so we're gonna wrap up here i just uh, wanted to ask if there's any do you want to plug anything like your uh any one-man shows writing classes oh man yeah 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 um so right now uh i'm not i'm not teaching anything right now but the thing that people should look at is people should go to the braid uh the dash braid b-r-a-i-d dot org and that the braid is formerly uh the jewish women's theater and we're still doing shows um with the braid so so check out their platform and what shows they've got the braid the dash braid.org and um there's a show that's called true colors that i've been a part of for almost two years now and we're still doing it so that's the next thing that i'm doing um live that you can watch uh via zoom awesome yeah thanks man it was great talking to you likewise all right see See you next time see you next time later (laughs) buddy all right bye thanks for listening everybody yeah, this was our first episode. Joshua's a really uh, cool, fun, entertaining guy, and we hope that you enjoyed listening to our conversation half as much as we did recording it. Why'd you say it like that? I don't know. That's, I'm, I'm a radio host. I'm Ira Glass. And this is American Life. Isn't he the one that kind of sounds like a bumblebee? <laughs> what? <laughs> He's just like, hey, is that not the guy? Am I thinking of someone else? I don't know who you could be describing. But this is good. <laughs> hey guys, hey, it's Ira Glass. I've I've never heard that used to describe him, but.
now I can't unhear it, even if it's not really accurate. <laughs> I mean, like much respect to Ira Glass, dude. But King I remember him. I remember him sounding like a bumblebee. Uh, you know, sure. Let's get him on the next episode. Uh, wherever you listen to this podcast, be it iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Amazon, what have you, uh, that function probably has the ability to follow podcasts. And if you follow us, we'd really appreciate it. Just click that follow button. You will not miss a single interesting person. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see, see you next, next week. Sorry, we spoke at the same time. I'm not sorry. I, I want to do that every time. This has been People, People Are Fortune. Oh, shit. God. <laughs> God damn it. You fucked it all up. <laughs>